What's really going on, everyone? Back again with another episode. This is season three, episode seven. Once again, No Alliance joined by Henry and Mackenzie. Before we get into all of the latest news and such, be sure to follow us on all of our social media. That includes Twitter, Instagram, and our TikTok, which is now blowing up and not a hip dance has been done. But check us out at WRGO Pod. Be sure to also check out all of our streaming platforms. That includes audio, that includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. Be sure to also check out our YouTube channel where we are actively coming out with new content all of the time. Henry and Mackenzie, how are you all? Doing good. Oh. Happy, happy it's almost the weekend. <laughs> Indeed, as we record on Thursdays. Henry, you said you were good? Yeah, man. I said, yo, yo, like, I'm good. Can't complain. There it is. All right. So now I'm going to go to the top of my document. Uh, so now we are going to talk about this is kind of going to be a pivot uh, off of a conversation that we had a couple episodes ago about HBCUs. So HBCUs were once in, in the news again, uh, following the recently hired Bethune-Cookman uh, football coach and NFL Hall of Famer Ed Reed's recent comments on IG Live. Uh, and I won't go into everything that he said because it was kind of ridiculous, but he essentially said that Dion wasn't wrong about HBCUs and how leadership has broken mentalities. Uh, this sparked a conversation about HBCUs, their leadership, and a little bit about their funding before we kind of get into some like much needed statistics about the value of HBCUs. Um, did you all see this on social media? Because I did, and it feels like it's just not getting any better in terms of like people actually understanding what HBCUs are here for. Yeah, no, I saw it. And honestly, I, as soon as I saw the quote tweets and stuff, I didn't even watch the whole video because I, I just assumed what he was saying. And I just like, like what everybody else has said on Twitter and on social media, it's just like, why do people think it's okay to like talk down about HBCUs publicly or, and, and also I do feel like, why do people not understand the layers about HBCUs and why things are the way that they are. And I used an example and I actually got into an argument with my, with my dad um, talking about Deion Sanders. My dad went to Mizzou and um, I toured Mizzou growing up or whatever, just because he went there. But I taken that mentality and touring a PWI, I would be ignorant to then think that Howard should look the same as Mizzou without understanding the layers and why things are the way that they are and I just feel like why is that mentality I took that as a freshman in college why are these older people not really understanding how complex HBCU's fundings are leadership and all of that stuff it's just kind of getting ridiculous and a little ignorant on their part because I just feel like why don't you know more about the situation you're getting into yeah Henry my question for you was as someone who grew up around more HBCUs than Mackenzie and myself, did you feel like it was like the same thing of like, obviously you went to one and, you know, you know, a lot of people who did growing up, but did you feel like there was also kind of like a anti HBCU thing growing up in the South where, I mean, you know, where you live in Atlanta, there are tons of HBCUs, but do you feel like this, that was still kind of like the same thing? Um, It's kind of hard to answer that on the cusp of like how I grew up. Cause I went to like better schools, you know what I'm saying? And let's say like an Atlanta native, I, a lot of people from Atlanta that went to uh, APS, Atlanta Public Schools, they know about HBCUs and they they are hip with the culture. And fortunately enough, I had an older brother that was familiar with HBCUs, so I was hip. But schools, if you are in a suburban area, for sure, they're not talking about HBCUs. They're pushing UGA and, you know, state schools or whatever, depending on how good of a student you are. Um, and that, I think that's the inevitable, unfortunate thing, because like us as Black, especially Black men, you're, you don't really talk about college for real. And then when you do talk about college is in regards to getting a sports scholarship. And then when you think about getting a sports scholarship, HBCUs aren't necessarily in that conversation all the time. So like, it can become a convoluted conversation. I'm I don't dis I don't agree with this guy. Uh, I'm kind of like with McKenzie on a like I seen snippets of it on Twitter. I was like, yeah, he on that same DM BS. And I guess for me as a black student who benefited from the network and just like the hustle and bustle of HBCU, I'm always gonna stand beside like 
going and supporting HBCU, especially as a black man, because you learn so much about your culture, um, your history. And yeah, like, I mean, financial aid can be messed up. That's an unfortunate problem. And it does need to be addressed and fixed. But somebody that didn't go to HBCU attempted to like push this like they can't handle business narrative when like McKenzie said, you don't really know the intricacy of the situation. I don't think. you should. Yeah, because I think I like this entire thing has made me think a lot of different things where I think one to that point where someone will be like, oh, well, the financial aid this or the financial aid that it's like. Yes, that's true, but point me to any school, HBCU, PWI, minority-serving institution, that's 110% perfect. Every school is going to have its warts, whether, yes, some of the issues at HBCUs might be more structural. However, in terms of financial, they're batting, you know, they're playing the game with one hand tied behind their back. So, yes, our athletic facilities are not going to be good because, you know, what we have to focus on getting the kids across the stage. We don't have money to throw at having the big football stadium or having the nice basketball facilities. HBCUs have had to do what America didn't want to do, which is educate black kids. So it's like, yeah, our facilities aren't that nice or, you know, and it's like, but also, okay, yes. Mizzou might have some of the, I'm sure Mizzou still does some of like, I'm sure they have great facilities and great dorms and great all that. But if you are a black student there, do you feel comfortable? No. Do you feel that like that? Part, so you that can have, part, the, you can sleep in the part. nicest bed, but no one in there, no one on that floor wants you there. Mm-hmm. No one, none of your professors want to hear you're out or hear your perspective as a black man or as a black woman, or, you know, especially if you are in the intersection of race and class, no one wants to hear you. So you can have the nicest stuff in the world, but if no one cares about you being there, that all that conversation never gets had because I feel like people who either want to crap on HBCUs don't want to hear that other side out. Where it's like, yeah, you got all the bells and whistles, but do people want you there? That part. And then I think the conversation also goes to one degree of like how us as Americans, Black Americans specifically, we're conditioned. And I think McKinsey has mentioned this. We're conditioned to like, see whiteness as greater like i hate when people be like mm-hmm. uh like like you know how when you like, i remember this specifically when i was going to pick up my graduation cake and i was like oh yeah i'm going to howard and there was a other race of woman she's like harvard oh my god how did you? i was like no howard but you know how black black people be like oh you went to the black uh harvard and it's like no i went to howard university a black prestigious university that produces in 80% of black professionals or somebody know us or some we we if you in a professional setting you know somebody that went to Howard University and that's just a fact so what they're saying that is like no don't compare me to a white institution or equate my greatness to a white scale I'm great because we I produce I work hard I have great um I, I don't know, pride in my institution and so on and so forth. Everything you would say about a Howard grad not attaching, a, you know what I'm saying, the scale of white elitism or whatever you want to call it to my success. Like, no, I'm successful because not, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't like that. And I also want to point out, did you guys see the Tennessee State TSU won, like, or not one, but the mm-hmm. state awarded them $250 million dollars? Uh, to fix problems on campus but it's stuff like that like like Noah said HBCUs are and and I want to just be clear the stuff that we went through with financial aid at HBCUs a lot of the stuff we shouldn't have to go through I'm not saying Mm. that we should just be sitting up absolutely but when you see a TSU getting 250 million dollars from the state that they probably was entitled to then the state never really gave the black schools the money or the funding or the proper resources goes to my point in like or what you said, operating with one hand behind your back. Like we're trying to do all of these things. We're trying to compete and make sure that our students are up to a certain par or a certain level to compete with um, the white institutions. But also we're not receiving the same type of funding. We're not receiving the same type of resources. We're not receiving the same type of aid. So it's like, but we're supposed to, 
you know, present this world-class environment when it's just, it's, it's unfair. And so when it comes to like black cultures or black leaders coming in, talking down about black schools, it's just like, like I said before, I feel like you're just ignorant and you don't know the complex layers that really mm-hmm. go into why HBCUs are the way that they are. Yeah. Cause then it, it like, it begs the question of like, you know, take whatever Ivy league school or just take whatever local state school cut, you know, cut their endowment by a third see what they have to do <laughs> it's like I was you know, there was a forbes that. there was a forbes article that said like you know these schools are underfunded by hundreds of millions of dollars every year that adds up like billions of dollars in total and like now we're talking about why the like facilities aren't top tier okay like do your homework do your history so i guess your point henry what were you gonna say no, nah, I was just going to say, I was going to say that earlier to both what both of you guys are saying about the finances, like, and we're underfunded. Like, yeah, you know, the elite top five to six get these big endorsements. And then fortunately, Howard, it, like, we're one of the only two schools that get a certain amount of government funding. Um, but other than that, like, other schools struggle because they don't have the funds to keep up or update these facilities. So, Again, I definitely agree, especially with like how we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, how like some school in North Carolina was getting fined a ridiculous amount of money because yeah, they were for having too many students. So like, yeah. what? what school was that A&T? I it was A&T. Was. Yeah, it was A&T. Which is crazy because I feel like them and FAMU is the largest um, HBCU population, or at least they were. According to the North Carolina school system, they went over their allotted amount of students. So it's like you're penalizing us for doing well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's, I'm sure this will not be the last conversation. Do your Googles, kids. That's I hope the it's the that. last conversation because it is, it's just kind of getting, it's getting ridiculous. Like it really is. <laughs> If we could say that about it, I'm sure we've said that about 30 things that we've talked about. Um, so the next conversation that we're going to have um, is around, Mackenzie, please be sure I'm pronouncing her name right. It is Millie, correct? No, Miel. Oh Miel, fool. Miel. Y'all be asking. I didn't know what you were and Y'all be wondering why I be asking clarity. That's a black name, Noah. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. I went into it head first. And you know what? Y'all wonder why I ask clarity. (laughs) Hey, I'd rather strike out. Get all right. Miel. Thank you. Miel Robinson. So uh, this is about a black uh, owned hair care. I said car on the document hair care brand. Uh, Miel Organics announced last week that it will be joining P&G Beauty, one of the biggest personal uh, care brands in the world. This sparked some outrage by some claiming that the products will be quote-unquote gentrified and follow a similar path to Shea Moisture. Uh, Others have said that the hair care products are becoming inaccessible to uh, Black communities. Um, I have a stat that I'm not going to share now because I think it's relevant for the conversation, but um, Mackenzie, I will let you start since you were the one who told us about this. Honestly, I know people are saying that she's selling out and that she's going to, the the product might be stepped on essentially. Now, the product being stepped on, I, I don't know. I have no comment on that. But as far as her selling out, I just feel like once again, like how we talked about HBCUs and, and funding and infrastructure, I don't like how the conversation is of building a business. And first of all, a lot of people do go into business and entrepreneurship with the idea of being acquired. Like that is a lot of business people's goals. So like, let's just, let's just start there. Then I also feel like, you know, when you reach a certain level and you want to get into global markets, and I'm only talking about when she posted a video online, I am a frequent user of Miel. I have all of her products and stuff like that. Um, And they do have a reasonable price point. So I definitely will be checking to see if they do shoot up the price. Um, But I think for her and trying to get into a larger market that's global, I do think that you need the help of a large conglomerate like a P&G or whatever the conglomerates are to really enter those markets. I don't I don't see it as a sellout. I see it as a way for her to grow the brand. None of us know the terms. So who knows what the terms are? She could still be having a seat at the table and making sure um things are not going to be stepped on and things the price points are going to be the same as much as she can 
But on the other hand about it, I was talking to this girl about it this weekend and she brought up the point of like, she had to know that her product was going to be sent to non-Black people to promote the brand. And that's significant because I don't know if you all are on TikTok, but it really started blowing up on TikTok because all of the ads and all of like content that I'm personally seeing was white women using it. So I didn't even think it was I'm thinking just the white girls found out about it or whatever. But when the girl said that she had to know that her product was probably going to be sent to influencers that weren't black women um, to promote the brand, to grow the brand, then I am kind of like, I mean, sometimes you do have to give a little to make a lot. I was before, before Henry, I pivot to you. I was going to say, then it's a matter of like, there's a concept I think of, you know, quote unquote, keeping it real. But then it's it's like you're it, I'm torn between multiple things. It's the concept of keeping it real, but it's also the concept of anyone who would say, hey, I'm running a business here. Mm-hmm. And yes, my market is trying to do this thing, but I can do this thing till I'm blue in the face. What if it's not getting the returns that I think I can? And then you have to make a hard assessment of whether, hey, this is what I am intending to do. But if this is all about a business at the end of the day, and if it's all about, quote unquote, getting your bag. Where's the natural extension? Where's the natural extension of that going to take you? Why is she being penalized for getting the bag? Like I don't, I don't understand. Henry, tapped out. No, I'm just playing. Um, I have many thoughts because I think I post like I seen something on Instagram and I put it in my uh, like close friends like way before it started blowing up on Twitter. And my opinion still stays the same. Like I'm maybe happy for her as a black woman, she getting bad, but I feel like she sold out. It is what it is. And why I say that is because like, it's no longer a black owned brand. No, where you split it, flip it and trade it. To Mackenzie's point of some business owners do like start their business with the idea of growing it and then selling it out for a certain amount of money. That in case is something I maybe want to do. So like, I don't put that beside anybody, but I guess, for me, understanding what her brand represented, why she started the company, so on and so forth, I am calling it a sellout because if in your like moral founding, you want to say you want to solve the problem of like walking down the aisle and black women not having, you know, products that actually like heal and help their hair because it's all made for white women, i.e. what McKinsey said, you couldn't have known, blah, blah, blah. So like for me, it's just like, <clears throat> you sell into a big conglomerate like PNG automatically. There's no question. They're mass producing on large levels. So your uh uh it's not chemical the chemicals in your like whatever you're doing to make the I don't company. think that I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the that's gonna change that's going to definitely change. There's they're gonna find a cheaper way to make it. They're going to find a, a cheaper way to get the material. That's just what a conglomerate company is going to do. They're going to cut dollars at any point in cost. So guaranteedly, her recipe to the actual products are going to be lost. Like I use my the product. I have the conditioner, the rosemary conditioner, and then like uh, whatever ginger shampoo. It really has helped my hair like grow and stay moisturized. And I really enjoy the product. And I was like joking with Dan to one of my friends. I'm probably like go order some before they like start making transition happen because it's no way you're gonna tell me the quality is gonna is not gonna decrease. I don't that, think that's fair. I don't I mean, think it's fair. And well, also, what happened to um uh, shape moisture? moisture. Um, I mean that was that's a different business. We don't know the terms. We don't know it. And I want to go back to my point about global markets because um internationally like there's black people in africa all across africa is she in in those stores too and i'm sure that it's probably hard to get in a global market and reach more black people that are across the diaspora across the world around the world and i feel like that's where i do need a png i do need somebody who can get the manufacturing and help out how else would she do that though how else would she do that as a person, no, I mean, but also you or, or rather you have to think about it once again from a business perspective. Do I want to incur the legal fees that happens with international trade, with associating with a global distribution network? That's expensive right, so and costs a lot of money the, to do like, in-house. I think for me personally, that then becomes a question of like investment funding. 
she was one of the first businesses to like receive a hundred million dollars in her industry to receive a hundred million dollars, which is groundbreaking. So like, to me, you can go source that, or if you can't get the uh, actual funding from banks, because we know they don't approve black people as much as they approve, approve like white people, then that's a structural issue as McKinsey said, which is why I brought up the conversation I brought up in a group chat because that was a structural issue. There was well, you have to bring up the conversation. No, I'm not even yes, doing do. that with you. Yes, you, you know do. I don't. No, out. I don't. You can't say it and then not bring it it's up. A cop out. We referenced group anyway. Point I was making is our, there, our audio uh, and YouTube listeners are not privy to our text messages. Yeah, oh, y'all trying to do this thing of antagonizing me, and I'm not falling for the bait today. Nonetheless, as I was saying, there's a structural issue as to where like black businesses do not receive funding at all or as much funding so it is harder to like grow a sustainable business without having to get acquired so i mean i'm just on that stand for it like am i pleased that this black woman is whatever but guaranteedly she doesn't own more like me understanding like how an acquisition will work what a big brand will want out of her brand etc 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 she does she's not the majority owner she's not the majority owner and just how again conglomerate companies run and operate the product is likely to decrease and the price is maybe even likely to increase that's just my stance so henry would consider that to be a sellout I, I think that's harsh only because then it seems like, and this is where I think people, I think, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I think people then want, when someone is doing the thing that we often are trying to do, then it becomes a negative thing. Can so then it's a matter of- to For me, please, so I can understand. So what I'm saying is I think a lot of people will say like, hey, we need more of these businesses and do more of this and we need, but we also want more Black-owned businesses and blah, 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 blah. If mm -hmm. the purpose is not just to have Black-owned businesses, but to have thriving ones, eventually there's going to be a rubber meets the road moment where, okay, so we're asking for Black-owned businesses, but we're then asking them to not really maximize their capital profit, but then say, hey, do something on behalf of the benefit of solely the community. That I mean, then takes it to a, a different- business would do, Noah. If you no, that's, that's you a big assumption. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, a big you, assumption. It, that's not a Black-owned business if you become acquired by a big white conglomerate entity. No, no, no. I think we're you're misunderstanding. What I'm saying is that I think at a certain point, if you are one of these businesses, or like for you, as a business owner, you, ha you have a business, would you then say, hey, are, do you charge cheaper rates to Black-owned businesses? Yeah. Okay. How so sustainable let's, is that, though? Yeah, so that's like, that's the purpose. Yes. So again, you're that's the question. Comes the purpose, moral character of the business owner, and what you're. If that was your only job, would you do that? Yeah. Wanting to achieve when that's, I was that, that's, that, when, that's not when I was freelancing for full time, my rates didn't go up or change; they were consistent. So with this saying that, like, know what I perceived your point as saying, like. Well, if you are a Black-owned business, the challenge becomes, do I want to grow and become this big brand or do I want to stay toward my purpose and focus of like staying within the Black community, making sure our dollar is there, creating whatever. But, that is, but you're you're naturally assuming that that is someone's purpose. And I'm, I'm no, saying that's I'm, not. I'm literally <laughs> like taking what you just said and saying like that becomes a question of the purpose, the business owner. For what you just said to me, that's what I would understand as it because like you, we don't know what her purpose was. We don't know if she wanted to grow this brand and sell it. We don't know if she wanted to genuinely stay in control. We don't know if she wanted it to be within a like a be a black business and be the first black conglomerate brand that can stand on its own without acquisition or whatever. I don't know where her personal goal was. However, from what I understood. The, the problem was Black women don't go down aisles and aren't able to find products that actually treat and grow their hair. So she created her brand for that purpose, which in case, if that's why you created your brand and then you go and get acquired by a white brand, then one would presume that mm, it's likely that this brand is not going to only cater to like 
the audience that you originally start your target audience that you started your business for. So as a business owner, that would be become a self question as like, okay, like, what is my overarching goal? Do I want to continue to focus on black women, help them nurture their hair and grow and grind or go through whatever hustle? Or do I want to, as a business owner, maybe become a bit wealthy, still have a sustainable brand that I can say I build, I sold, and it's still doing well 10, 20 years down the line. That's a question. I think, of, I think so. most people would take the route that she took. I mean, I'm not most people, one, but two, I'm still going to No, stay. but I also think that that's not the question is, and I think it gets to a larger question is, what do we quote unquote want the black business owner slash the black billionaire to do like and this is like a general question because i think it's like we always talk about how there's a lack of access to capital i'm sure if we pulled up the top black venture capital firms i would be curious to see what the biggest ones are doing for black businesses i'm i think it's probably a lot less than people would probably think so then it's a matter of what do we want the purpose of this stuff to be and and i think that gets to a broader what i just said in my head you just said everything you just said is like every again that's on the business owner and then two that's on like black venture capitalists like greenwood the this black on bank uh headquarters out of atlanta me and somebody was talking about it and i was like well yeah that is a question for them they should be looking into how black businesses are getting this investment money or how much access do they have to certain types of capital that's a question of people who presumably say they want to create this black wealth and keep the black dollar whatever then you should be really taking the steps to solve that problem i didn't say i was that person i don't know if miel is that person but what i am saying is i presume that's where her business was started and promoted off of and now against that for me though like this assumption i mean i know what happened with shea moisture but i'm not really going in thinking that the product is no longer going to be good. Like, I don't, I'm not going in thinking that. I'm thinking like, wow, a business leader, an entrepreneur might want to take a step back or do something else. Maybe this is just too, she's been doing this for years and like, it's just a lot going on. Maybe she can have a different seat at the table and maybe spend more time with her family and still have products on the market. I don't know, but I don't think- Or just say, or just simply, I did this as best as I could and I got my payday. Yeah, I, I don't care. Like you, haven't y'all always said actions have consequences? It's not just about consequences. Yo, you also, took an action and now you're a sellout. That's just what it I is. I don't think she's a sellout. I don't think I don't see it as I don't see it as being a sellout. And I don't like I see it as her being a sellout. I just explained that as much as I could. I don't see it as that. That is your stance. We have uh, 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 two black girls. But I think people. it's also dangerous for you and people to keep saying- How is that, that dangerous? I, I, I'm going to tell you if you let me speak. I think it's dangerous because it's also, why do black businesses and black people always got to take the burden? Now we got to give discounts. You just say you give discounts to black businesses. That's not sustainable. That's not how you run a business. And I just hate that like, Dang, black business still still got a struggle. I can't get my stuff in global markets, but I'm going to still try to put the stand up and do what I have to do for my people, even though I might be like working 80 hours a day trying to get good products. People like Miel who, or these black billionaires who have the money, resources, and opportunity to but the come thing together, I'm create sorry, wait, partnerships, hold on, hold on, and provide hold on. real solutions hold for on. people and like you, me. But you keep talking about these venture capital firms and all of this money. The thing that was significant about the video that she posted that I took away from, it wasn't just about getting money. It's about, I need actual help in getting products on the store. I don't know this Greenwood place that she was talking about in Atlanta. Do they have, um, do they have other brands and beauty hair care under their belt where they know how to get it in a market in a place like Ghana and a place like Kenya and a place like South Africa? You keep bringing up these African companies, but is she actually shipping products over there? What? Because if there's no major retailer over there, nine times out of ten, PNG 
is not oh, PNG uh, products are definitely as a person, they buying the as a person as a person who's went to Ghana they definitely have like regular hair care stuff they have okay the so that then becomes that. a question for me if if they where, where did you buy this regular hair care stuff from at the mall okay first of all don't be ignorant to African countries they have I'm not I've stores. never been to Ghana I've never been to and, and so I'm, I'm telling asking you, the I'm, asking I'm telling you, you they you have said, regular I asked your question you call me ignorant so you're not telling me you just call me out of my name you are being ignorant no i'm not i literally asked you where did you buy the product from and you called me ignorant I'm from from the store what what was the name i mean of- i don't know the name it's not a target but it's right. whatever, so that, their, that- whatever their stores do you want me to google a, uh oh my, my, my point here was nine times out of ten if a conglomerate brand is over in a let's say third world or foreign that's not a third world country that's what i'm saying you're being ignorant God, no i didn't and it quote, the air quotes here mckenzie like here but after you said, said foreign or third world country nine times out of ten if it's not through a major retailer or distribution how are they getting the products anyway it is in a major retailer that is in there in there so that would then go to my point of if you're already in 85 countries around the world through major retailers you could have did the work to get somewhere else here's my question to what? you and i think my question to you is if you felt like you had maximized your business and if someone had said hey we have a firm that specializes in creative services we want to take you under and they would give you a lot of money would you automatically be a hard no no matter what that depends on what I'm aiming to get out of the deal. As me, somebody that like my goal is to maybe become acquired because I, I don't necessarily want to do the hard work every day. What if, or I, I think, what if that wasn't what you desired, but the offer was so good that you had to consider it? You're asking me a question that like, from my perspective, if, if like I just explained, if I, if my goal was to help the black community and make sure it be a, be a black business as a business owner, I'm going to stick to that moral. But I me, think you're overlooking how fluid a lot of things are. I think yeah. some people would say that I'll never take a job, but they gave me an offer. I literally can't say no to. I don't, I didn't, I didn't necessarily it, want to take uh, the job that I currently have. But publicly came to your door right now, offering you every bit of, Healthcare. That's not a like for like. That's not, first of all, that's not. But that's oh, not yes, it is. Y'all be but trying to do this like thing, but when I make it, okay, okay, bro, let's thing. move on. Let's move on. I'm no, tired. it's not. But we can have the conversation. But that's why I keep kind of cutting you off because now you're comparing PNG to Repu- the Republican Party. Like, what are you? His, his words were: If somebody offered you a job that you but, literally could not take, what and then you interpret it as a Republican. So okay, and I took it from a person who works in politics, right? So I know his morals are a certain place. I then said something that he was strongly opposed. I don't think this is a moral thing. This isn't even a moral thing. Okay, Mackenzie. So again, we're not understanding each other's logic. You're not understanding me. And I actually did do a quick search in Ghana um, in Nigeria, and they actually do have their products in their stores. So my point is, and you know what? I didn't even- I'm glad you did that because you're defending my point, Mackenzie. If she- but bro, her products aren't there. Her products bro, aren't If there. she in 85 countries around the world, already with major retailers, she could have done the work to keep going. Now, she wanted not to do that or go through the struggle of doing that. I don't know. So you can't tell me it's not possible. It depends on the hustle and bustle this person is trying to do. I don't think it's necessarily a Where hustle issue. Where did you issue. get that she's in 85 countries? Bro, literally, it's in a Forbes article. Hmm. You want me to drop it in a group? Yeah, please do. Like, I don't think it's necessarily a hustle issue, though. I think that, I don't know, my understanding is that I think that has to do with the point of, like, we have to work double as hard. Twice as hard, bro. Twice as hard. But why? 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 Bro, that's the systematic issues we always talk about on the podcast. What do you mean, why? Why are you posing this question to me? Go ask the powers that may be. Like, Y'all act no, like no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying, we internalize that, and we we see that as a barrier. Can you stop yelling? Can stand. you stop yelling? You stop yelling at me. What I'm saying is that I think we see that as a standard is that we have to obviously yes, we have to work hard, and I think that's naturally our default. But then to say like, hey, we have to hustle, we got to grind, we got to do the 150. percent Got me over here sweating. Shit. I think. I think the older I get, the more I realize where it's like comfort is okay. 
And I don't have to necessarily work twice as hard for the fruits of my labor if I don't necessarily have to. And I think it, and, but, but then I think that's where I think the people, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but the people who are then riding out for those things, it's like, we're, we're, we're saying two different things. We say, get the bag, but then don't sell to this. We're saying, take your personal comfort, but don't do the things that might make you personally comfortable. So it's like, okay, we're having two different sides. We're, these things are going to clash at some point. We so can't like, say, hey, we want people to get the bag, but don't do it like this. So you know how we that's a harder conversation like black to people have. People can't get on one accord because there's always like these ups and downs of like, okay, I agree here, but not here. That's literally what like like that's, that's what, what, that's what Noah everything. just said though, too. Like literally, that's what yeah. how I heard it. Like, we want you to get the bag, but not that bag. We want you to do self-care, but I need you to but work. Isn't there always the problem me. as to why us can't get on one accord? Because we never can agree on certain just structural. I don't think it's systems. about agreeing. I think it's the things that we want when I think I think the things Bro, we so want like, like in a very I'm specific way. And she's call, not calling her a sellout. What, how's that? I don't think she's a sellout. I don't see her as like, I'm selling out um, to give my product to the white man. When you say sellout, that's what I'm thinking of. And I don't that's see- That's your it. perspective on the world. I see Dion. Explain how I see her as a sellout though, Mackenzie. So if you didn't understand that, ask for clarity, whatever. But I don't, don't sit clarity, here and antagonize me and call me ignorant when my points are very substantial. No. Like, I think I, I see it differently. I think it's the same yeah, thing. I, of, I think we can't. Yeah, I see it differently, and that's okay. I think I think it's once again the thing of like I think the two things in which we want can sometimes be a clash with the way in which they can actually be done. And I think that's like I think it's a larger conversation of what do we actually want that to be, because we can't then say like we want people to do this, but this achieving it through these means is then taboo i think that then goes to then say okay well you told me to do this so then how is that things are going in different directions that's how i see it you can see it differently that's okay that's why we were having I said that like 15 minutes ago before y'all made me explode boy but no one made you explode. you made yourself you explode have, yeah <laughs> Bro, you're not gonna sit yell nor call me on my name and think i'm not gonna have reaction so but all so, no before we move on henry i really do hope that you practice what you preach because like you saying all of these things about that she can get things off the ground and she has all of these able to do all of these things i just hope that when your business continues to get off the ground that you keep it a buck and keep it black owned and do everything but i know that did you not hear me say my goal is to become a choir so don't do the antagonistic i hope no I literally kept saying, oh, so, so, you're saying that you'll be a sellout. so you'll be a sellout? No, I so know what my goal was. <laughs> I know what my goal was. I literally, bro, so y'all let me take whoa, whoa, everything whoa, whoa, whoa. I say and mix this Can I ask my question though? So just let me, so her getting acquired is a sellout. You getting acquired is the business decision. Tell no, me the difference. That's, that's not what I said. So then what's the difference? I literally said what if I what I understood about her business model was she wanted to solve a problem for black women. So you then lose that in the aim of your business by being acquired by a white conglomerate company. I so why do you currently offer this discount? whole conversation that my goal was to maybe become a choir like I because I don't want to do the nitty-gritty hard work and I didn't even double down and said maybe that's why she sold the company because she was running out of bed she couldn't do handle all the work I said all of these things so now, when if you, you wanted acquired, to misinterpret them and not understand I have another question your problem I know I have another so when you get acquired are you still going to give discounts to black businesses but I have no yes or no all over that unless within that so then like, that would be selling out right no, Mackenzie. How no. would it not? Wait, hold on. No. How would it not? Because you can we said, go to Rhonda Santos because you're trying to antagonize me and we've talk. done this. You we've had your chance this. to talk. I don't see the difference in you are setting yourself up to make your prices available or more welcoming to black businesses because that's where you stand, right? Am I correct on the that? That's why you want so if that okay. Yes, that's so then assuming from what you said. If you are acquired and they give, they hike up the prices for the black businesses and make it fair for all businesses. And now they're paying full price. And those businesses came out and said, Henry's a sellout. Would they not be right? 
Bro, if that's their opinion. Yes or no. If that's their yes opinion. Yes or no. If that's their opinion, what, 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 I'm losing it. your logic. I know what my goal was as a business owner, though. And but, that's, I literally said that throughout logic, this whole though. conversation. But you guys are choosing not to understand it. I, I actually would problem. you so so yes they would have every right to call you a sellout. I literally said that's their okay. opinion, Mackenzie. Okay. Yeah. I said that. I said yeah. that. Yeah. I've been said that though. So you're already a sellout then. Call me what you want. You won't call me broke. I don't get you. Oh, I, don't get, I don't get your I'm point. Moving. I'm moving like, on. I'm moving on. Mackenzie, you on. choose not it's to. It's a problem when they do it, but it's okay when you do it. I never said it was a problem, Mackenzie. So stop. I mean, calling someone a sellout is definitely not a compliment. So let's oh, not. I mean, my view of what she did is a sellout if your goal was to solve problems for Black people. I've said that multiple times. In and different... I guess that's where I also miss you because I don't feel like, I feel like the problem is still being solved. Oh, Ron DeSantis, like this getting on my nerves. Wrap it up. Come on. Come on. A lot to unpack when we stop recording. Um, so Ron DeSantis, boom. So today, the Florida, literally today, as we were recording on Thursday, June, January 19th, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, rejected a proposal to teach African-American studies in Florida high schools with the governor's education office saying the course lacks educational value. Uh, DeSantis overhauled Florida's curriculum uh, to limit the teaching of critical race theory in 2021. We're going to keep moving on from these topics to finish up on a decent time. But I, as we celebrate Black History Month, there are still people who don't want us to learn our history. And I think that then snowballs into other things, which snowballs into other things. But how say you all? Um, this messed Florida, up. Florida, this Florida is always going to be a problem. But my thing with it is just like, when is enough enough? When are you guys going to stop like taking so much away from, I guess, the others? And I don't like calling us the others, but Florida had the LGBTQ situation where they mm -hmm. can't use those words. And now you can't really say black. And I'm just like, at, at what point is it just enough where we like are just over it? And, you know, like these type of policies, I don't know how much the presidency can really step in, but it's just getting ridiculous None. because it's, it's, it's so much more than just the work. They're really trying to erase our history. They're really trying to erase how we got here. They're, I looked at the band book list, you know, Ruby Bridges is on there. They can't <laughs> yeah, even talk so about yeah. Ruby Bridges. They're trying to erase our history and it's actually happening in real time. And it's just like, how many more states are going to do this? And then, you know, like it, it's always starts small, but then when it starts getting into the curriculum where the curriculum already kind of like skews slavery and how, you know, African-American history already skews it. Now you're just trying to erase it completely. And it's just like, I mean, just how far are we going to go with this? Because it's like, is this going to spread to other states? Are we going to have a generation of kids who don't even know about African-American history? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Henry, any words? Slave movies, that's why they make them so much. Because, I mean, people literally don't teach us our history, bro. You're laughing, but I'm being serious. My mom. No, I agree, I agree with you. Because um, normally I hate those movies too. That's the only reason I knew. Wait, what? I said, no, I'm laughing because it's true, because I hate those movies because they're overdone. But I'm seeing it from your perspective is that they're filling a void that obviously people like Florida are creating. But then it's like, OK, you talk about the slave movies. But at this point, it's just a matter of time before they ban them showing them in theaters at this point. Because I mean, like, I mean, yeah, we could get that far, but we're not there yet. But I mean, that's why I said, how far is it going to go? If you can't, well, I guess, so as a person, I grew up in Georgia, bro. We The only time you learn about black history is like, uh, in eighth grade, it's Georgia history, and they probably don't even teach that no more. So they you don't learn about Black history in school systems. That was being yeah, I mean, that's not a, I mean, that's that's not a Georgia thing. thing. That's a, but the yeah. actual banning, like banning. Well, I guess that's like, that's what makes that's it different. Yeah. Set in stone. That's what makes it real. But it's been a thing. They're it's just been not, a thing. And but I'm yeah. just saying, like the banning part of it, though. Like we joking about slave movies, but I don't see in my head if I'm DeSantis, if I don't want kids learning about African American history, I definitely don't want them seeing Twelve Years a Slave. I definitely okay, don't want so to like if in case he passes a bill, what I mean, we then talk about it. But for me, that's why I've always personally been a fan of those types of movies, or not tried to be like too harsh or ridicule them because 
as a child, my mom made me watch Ruby Bridges mm-hmm. and uh, like just it, uh, MLK, like it was a movie, several movies with him in it or the Martin Luther King or whatever uh, movies to get me hip. Um, so but I, it's I, even, I, yes. I, and I think mo- my parents did the same thing, but it's just getting to a point, especially like the banning books thing. Like if you go online, yeah, it's, like a, it's a larger are, thing that we just can't ignore anymore. Yeah. Like you can't even, if the well, books are, time, what can we do about this? I'm not saying what we, we, I don't know what we can do about it other than policy, but I'm just saying like, it's so much more than a movie because if they're banning the books, the movies is definitely coming. So, and then it's just an erasure. But even, of, but even, but even then, it's like, by that time, if they're banning the books, the damage is done. Like, yeah. the movies is not doing anything. Like, yes, people do. That's, I mean, like, that's why, you know, channels like PBS are super valuable because they are teaching kids. But at a certain point, kids are spending more time in school than anywhere else. And if they can't be affirmed, and it's also just the value thing. If you're not learning about yourself in school, you're subconsciously or consciously learning as you are growing up that you have less value mm-hmm. so it's like by that time they want though unfortunately and i mean i then would say like it's not a movie thing or a book thing it's that these people in policy should like see this as a problem thing so like no maybe, certainly you know and that's that becomes the real issue because time and time again we're shown to be undervalued in the country mm-hmm. um getting shot down the police to underrepresentation to being underpaid to companies being brought out and acquired because they can't sustain themselves whatever it may be you know we constantly get looked at as undervalued so it does create like a bigger systematic issue that like I think even like my brother he 18 like I don't even think he cares much about like racial issues or like are like as tuned i don't know well, but i get that but like we was fresh and howard marching down to mike brown mike brown you know what i'm saying so like it's i don't know I, it's just a lot to kind of like take in it again that's why i said that's why that's why i think they or hope that's why they make the movies because in real time like what can we do to solve this issue I mean, honestly, when I was um, at work talking to a black book uh, bookstore owner that lives in Harlem, the only thing that she does, she purposely buys in all the uh, several books from the ban list because it gets to a point like if they're banned and then no one's buying them, then, you know, those stories go unread. No one's checking for them. So I think a duty that we have, if we do want to keep these stories alive, because it really is so much more than the movies. It's about the stories in our history. And the only way I can think of in real time to do it is by buying like the 1619 Project and buying Mm -hmm. all the books that are banned, especially Ruby Bridges. What? Kids can't even read that. That's just so crazy to me. But the only thing we can do is... I would say is buying those books and keeping them with us within our families for years to come because who knows how long this list is gonna grow for. So you just hit yeah. the on the head. What? These school systems shouldn't be teaching our kids for it. We should be teaching our kids at home. So, like to that point, that that's where the work really begins. You need to yes be taking no. your time. No, I was, yeah, well, I, don't, I, don't, say, I, won't, I won't say no. You are right. Yes. But that then abdicates responsibility. But it's still, yeah, it's still the school. I mean, yeah, a teacher should be doing their job, of yeah. course. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But I also am saying, like, to Mackenzie's point, I think it starts at home. Like, like Oh, certainly. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Certainly. They have to learn it at home, and we have to be the ones to ensure that they're learning what they need to know or should know. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it's like an and or thing. It's like we have to teach it at home, but that also means I that also doesn't mean that I won't advocate for this to be taught in the schools. It's like we can do we just have to figure out a way to do both. And I think to Mackenzie's point, we need to someone, some rich person needs to figure out how to buy these books and donate them to charities in mm-hmm. Florida. Like if they're not going to get them, they should get them some other way. And that might just mean going around the school. But last thing, did you all see that statue? So let's talk about it. So there was a 20, 22 foot, 19 ton bronze sculpture of MLK that was unveiled last week, depicting MLK embracing his wife, Coretta. The artist, Hank Willis Thomas, has received feedback, some positive, some negative. Uh, the negative, which is what I first thought when I looked at it from a uh, certain angle, that it looked like uh, some genitalia. Uh, Scott eventually chimed in, saying, it's a strange thing, the moment we live in, that we are inspired to talk about silly things and something as serious as the legacy uh, of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, I think that while that is true, 
I think the sculpture is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's not good. And I think it it's it's and I think Henry, you we were talking about this the other day, where it's like his art specializes in making statements, and sometimes the statements can actually overshadow the actual art or the intention of the art. And I think this is one of those moments, but I'm curious what you all think. I would say I was very confused. Like I think his um like the message behind the pieces definitely have strong messaging but it's misconstrued because his art is so like just blatantly there and he probably had like he has something weird thing with hands uh, because a lot of his statues or uh, monuments or whatever focus on the hands or that I just wish that he would have filled in their backs so it actually would have looked like they were embracing because it just looks like I'm not gonna like. It just yeah. looks like elbows. It, like I don't. Yeah. I don't get it. I literally don't get yeah, it. Just, and the I thing about it, like, it. if we're talking about legacy, like, real talk, if if we didn't know that it was an MLK sculpture, I literally would not know that that was a sculpture dedicated to MLK. So I don't even. I don't get it. Yeah. If I didn't see that, if I think I don't know who posted. Somebody posted the picture that he like was inspired by. If I didn't see that picture, I would have. I thought it was like, I thought he was looking or something. <laughs> no, for real, because what is that? I thought he like... was looking or something. I was so confused, and I was like, "How does this represent MLK?" So, like, I don't know. I just, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a flattering piece to me. And where is it? That's what I'm Boston. <laughs> Well, consider. Mm. Yeah, I was about to say. Now I'm like thinking, did they do that on purpose? No, I'm kidding. I mean, no. Considering where it's at, mm-hmm. that could have like. And Boston's own unique racial history. Yeah. <laughs> like now, I'm like, I don't know how. No, to- I I think this was just one example of an artist just literally. That's what happens when you don't get something approved. That to me is they said, all right, here's well, the money. Somebody here's approved the because it's in the city. I mean, no, nobody I'm just saying, probably from MLK's camp or somebody in the know uh, was at the. Approval. No one with the proper authority said, "Yeah, do that again. Mm-mm, mm-mm, do that again." <laughs> so, but that is our episode, season three, episode seven. Once again, thank you for listening to all of our conversations. Be sure to check us out on all of our social media: Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at WRGO Pod. Be sure to like, listen, and subscribe on all of our streaming platforms not social media i already said those that includes apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud youtube and iHeartRadio. radio 